0: Are you underutilizing one of the most powerful restaurant marketing tools on the planet? What do 92 million monthly Yelp searchers see when they land on your page? Is your content accurate and attention-grabbing? Are you using every conversion tool possible to set yourself apart? Yelp is here to help. Go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash profile to sign up for a one-on-one with a specialist that will review your Yelp page and share tips to help you stand out. Again. Go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash profile to supercharge your Yelp page today. Now
1: here we go. I can help people learn through the mistakes I made because I made so many mistakes as an operator and I look back now and I have the knowledge of distribution and the knowledge from academia and I say, man, if I would have zigged instead of zagged, like it would have made all the difference.
0: Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry. Featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. Hey, it's Josh. I'm starting a new case study group this month and I'm looking for a few specific people. So, if you're a restaurant owner or operator that's currently doing $50,000 per month in sales, Have the desire and the bandwidth to increase your sales by 10 to 20% and have two to three hours per week to work on these strategies? I would love to help you scale up by Christmas. Go to restaurantcasestudy.com and sign up to learn more. Again, that's restaurantcasestudy.com. I'm not crazy. There are definitely people out there making an absolute fortune in this industry. They're just few and far between, and many haven't been willing to share their recipe for success. But you can learn a lot from observing the masters at work, and that's the vantage point from which the team over at Restaurantopia views our industry. They're working with the best in the business to create extraordinary results, and today, David, Brian, and Anthony share the tactics and tools used by the best to create unstoppable restaurants brands.
2: Again. With my role at Hillcrest, I have the opportunity to help local independent restaurateurs, whether it's potentially with a legal issue or we have the opportunity to help local independent restaurateurs with operations and different avenues of the business to make them more profitable. And our my only goal in life and the legacy that I hope I leave is I'm able to help as many people as possible while I'm here on this earth. So being here at Hillcrest and part of Restaurantopia and doing the podcast is really just me paying back and trying to get back to the world as much as possible. And one of the great groups of people that I've ever met, the best people I've ever met are restaurateurs. They're the ultimate entrepreneur, as we like to say, because they're in such a tough sport. This is so difficult. And then to see them provide for their families and provide for their staff's families and, and create such a amazing culinary experience for so many people, it's really heart-touching to see if I can help a little bit. So if I can help a little bit, I love it.
3: So my name is Dave Ross. I've worked with Hillcrest Foods for the last 15 years. Previously to that, I spent the first 25 years of my life just trying to figure out life and went to college and then didn't do anything with that degree and was trying to figure things out. And then my then girlfriend, now wife, her family was in the restaurant business, got introduced to the executive team here at Hillcrest and looked at these people through the interview process and said, wow, these are really good people. And this is something that I think could be enjoyable at the time. Didn't really know what the future would hold other than you just seem like good guys. So started in customer service 15 years ago sitting in a cubicle, punching orders, worked my way into a sales route. We're a wholesale food service distributor, so I worked with restaurants every day, going out and trying to identify their problems and trying to make sure they got their product at the right price on time and delivered accurately and troubleshooting. And But then really ended up trying to be a consultant for the restaurant business because at the end of the day, we just delivered boxes, you know what I mean? And that's what we do. There's nothing sexy about it. It's just boxes in, boxes out. And all of our competition does the same thing. And a lot of our competition speaks to the things that they do, the value adds, the stuff that they can do to help restaurant operators. But I felt like I wanted to be different in the sense of I didn't want to just talk about it. I want to execute it. So my methodology as a sales rep was I wanted to go out. And the first thing I did was I made up success stories so I could tell people what I'd done which I hadn't done, but knew I could do. Then I actually one of them believed me. Then I created an actual success story that I could feel confident to go out and tell other restaurants like, Hey, I just made this guy 15 grand doing this. Or I you know what I mean? And it all came down to, if I could help somebody go from 75 grand to a hundred grand in income as a restaurant operator, they're probably going to like me. That 25 grand probably feels good. You know, it probably says like Dave's my guy. And all of a sudden you get to know him better. And all of a sudden they're looking at a second location and, and they're asking you, What do you think about this? And then, you know, all of a sudden you become that trusted advisor to these restaurant people. And just to parlay off of Brian's point, like they are the greatest people in the world. They've taken sometimes everything they have out of their savings and out of their hours of their day and against their family and went out to try to create something great. And not because it's easy or because it's a get-rich-quick scheme. Like they literally went and they said, I'm going to work my ass off and give everything I've got to, to show hospitality, to love my customers, to give people nourishment, to put food in people's bodies. I mean, it's a huge responsibility. And so I can't imagine anything else I'd be more excited to do than help these people. And so over the last 15 years, it's just, I've been trying to increase my skill set to help them, increase my knowledge to help them. And uh, I feel that there's always going to be need to help this segment of people with being restaurant operators, because you know, it's only getting tougher and their abilities to pivot and do things like we, so we as a consultant in the industry, like I've got to keep getting smarter so that I can keep helping them win.
0: And how did that inform your decision to get into media? Well, I think, you know, and we could talk,
3: there's a funny story about how it actually, like the moment it happened, but I feel like we were doing it like as a sales rep, I would go out and I would try to help them with menu benchmarking or help them with uh, menu management or help them with uh, specials and weekend features and all the different things that we talk about. I felt like, this form of being a podcast and, a, and more of a media company allowed us to do it in a broader format, that it was good one-on-one, but if we can get this out in a broader format and get some interest, then you've got more attention and more eyeballs looking at it. All about bandwidth, man. Yeah. 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 But there is a funny story about how we actually yeah. started the podcast specifically. So I think it, you guys were in, Anthony and Brian were in Brian's office one day. And- I love podcasts. I guess I don't know how it came up. You guys are talking about podcasts. I had never listened to a podcast in my life. I knew I was doing a podcast- I just didn't know
2: who else was on the bus with me. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I knew that I needed some really good people on the bus with me because I didn't know how good I was going to be. I thought I might just be like the guy carrying the
3: microphones. Like I, it could have been bad. Could have been the grip. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys were talking about it. And again, I don't know the actual conversation that was happening, but I happened to be walking down the hall and they were at a point in the conversation where they're like, we should start a podcast. I remember the moment I stopped in my tracks. I turned and I go, I'm in. Yeah. 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 And then we just started talking about it a little bit. That was like, it was probably like the summer of
2: 19 no, no. or it, it was early it 19. It been late 19, but so we get into doing our first episode and we record it, high production value, second episode. We so went to the studio. Yeah, we Red, did the we went. studio, yeah. Had, had used their equipment and everything like that. So then it, it kind of got where like, all right, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't release it yet what's iTunes? Is that on everyone's phone? We didn't know anything. So I'm coaching myself, coaching myself up and learning kind of the production side of things. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hits and the three of us are on the Hillcrest disaster response team working with customers. What's PPP? What do you do? Do I shut down my restaurant? I don't do to
3: go. How do I do to go? How do I onboard this? How do I clean? How How, do I, yeah. Somebody gets COVID. What do I do? Ooh. Like it was so vague and so it, like yeah, miserable.
2: Such strange days. And so we're like, if we're going to do a podcast and help a ton of people, now is the time. This the industry needs us. Local independents need us. And you can understand like local independents are unfortunately sometimes isolated. They don't have a big group, a big friend circle. Their broadline distributor and that sales rep is oftentimes in their circle of five is we like to say. So we, just championed all the topics and issues that were in front of our customers and and tried to help them and just kept on pushing it out to our sales reps and, and our customers and saying, hey, you got this question. We got an expert in accounting, Jamie Romano, who knows about PPP. Listen to the
3: episode, do a deep dive on the subject matter, and then call Jamie
2: to have them help you out.
3: And that literally, like the CFO of our company, like did a live webinar that we had a couple hundred people get on to talk about how do you apply for a PPP loan? And and, and literally part of the PowerPoint was like, here's my email, here's my personal cell phone, like reach out. And this wasn't for, because we saw other distributors do this, but it was like exclusive to their customer. Our customer used this code to get in or whatever it is. We were like, dude, get on. We marketed and we said, if you own a restaurant, like get on and learn. And we're not high
2: level, like talking philosophy of PPP loans and how it works with the economy. You can't pay your rent. You can't pay your vendors. You can't employ your staff because there is no revenue coming in. This is a lifeline. Apply. This is how you apply. Here's the takeaways. And that's how you really help someone, not some BS thing of like, oh, the PPs. P's Is going to be good for the economy. Like, that doesn't help. Like, I know on all of your episodes, Josh, and I'm a big fan, the real world advice and the takeaways are so important because they're real people out there. These aren't multinational corporations. You may have a guy who's doing well and have five restaurants, but I'll tell you what, like, the sixth one could go out. We talked about that this morning. It's not a guaranteed success, it's not a guaranteed formula. And so, anything that you can do
0: to be more practical and help someone out, I think is so very important. Talk to me about the evolution of the content. I started around the same time and it was very easy to figure out what to talk about in the early days of the pandemic. My question is, as the pandemic ebbed and flowed and subjects became less timely and more universal, more evergreen, how did you guys decide what to talk about and what restaurants should prioritize? We're so deep in the industry talking to operators, the topics just came to
2: us. So we're talking to people and this is their problem today. Their problem today is marketing. Their problem today is how do I handle social media? How do I do a relaunch? I'm doing a grand opening. What should I do? What's patio season look like for me this year? Because it's going to be so very important to us. So that's how the topics really came to us was they actually came to us,
1: literally. Yeah, that's for me, especially when I deal with customers. It's what are the things that keep repeating? And I was about to use the word pandemic, but it's a bad choice of words nowadays. But what are the things that keep reappearing? Those are worth addressing. And further, like... I've been lucky enough to go to a lot of trainings for another role I have at Hillcrest in teaching independent restaurant operators about better business practices and operations and things. And Hillcrest invested in me to go out and spend time at these world-class training events. And there would be like topics that pop up that are so profound and maybe they didn't expound upon them the way I liked in the seminars that I went to. So I came home and said, well, how can I do this better? Or how can I embellish this a little bit to make it more actionable for operators? And then there's a lot of that out there. Even a headline sometimes will pop up to you. And you'll be like, you know, that headline's a great talking point. They didn't cover it in this article. I need to talk about this. I need to dive into this with these guys.
3: Yeah. And as I'm thinking while you guys are talking to answer the question directly is like, I think it just naturally happened. It just became like, okay, we've told them how to clean. We've told them how to get money. We've told them how to get out of their lease. We've done all these things. And then you start going through the pandemic. We're like, okay, we've told them how to prep for the winter season with now it's not the flu season. It's COVID season. And What's your menu look like? And so it just got to a point where we said, okay, it just naturally transitioned to like the day in and day out of restaurant operations. What can make them better?
2: And what's actionable advice that can drive bottom line revenue? And Anthony has done this a few times, but looking at your menu, looking at your pricing, those things that we've seen in real world can give an operator $50,000 to the bottom line. And in our world, $50,000 isn't some number that you're bringing back to Wall Street. It is a college education for a young child. It's dance lessons. It's the ability to hire on a GM.
1: That's my favorite one. Yeah, because so like, can- we can free you from your operation. Yeah, because yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. So then that translates into location number two, because now they're not worried about the minutia of the business. They're working on the high level stuff. And I, I love it. It's again, you see operators evolve and it's great to see multi-generational wealth be created from someone who had nothing that was actually able to build something into an enterprise. And again, I'm not talking 50 units. I'm talking three or four that they're cash flowing, they're making money, that they're happy. They're able to take a vacation with their wife. They're able to celebrate anniversaries on a nice trip. And, and it's all because of their hard work and systems that put in place. And if we can teach them one or two pro tips God, that just makes me happy.
0: And let's talk about the evolution from there. So it starts as a podcast. At what stage in the process did you guys begin to have the conversation about what else could this be? What else can we do? Well, I think we probably have a similar mindset. It started off, we wanted to help.
3: There was a need with the pandemic. It it turned into like, hey, we know a few things. So let's get that information out and and let's help people in a broader format than just one-on-one consulting. And then uh, we started as we, because, you know, Brian and I and Anthony were kind of like, we become students of what we're doing. So all of a sudden you start going in and you start reading books like Content Inc and you start meeting with people like yourself and, and Joe Polizzi and different people out there. And all these people are doing these things and you're like, OK, the good news for us is that we have a career that this fits into nicely. And so we're not here like every morning waking up like this next podcast episode's got to go viral because we got to feed our family. You know, what I mean, like so we have a little bit of like security in that but also allows us the ability to have some autonomy to go out and really create something that, that's great and have a long-term plan and not immediately try, oh, we got to monetize this. You know what I mean? Right. No, we're trying to help people. I think what's
1: nice about that too is the podcast has really evolved to become part of our jobs and our responsibilities, right? And probably more so for me than you guys, but this is my job. It's consulting. It's helping customers. That's my primary function at Hillcrest. So this is very much integrated with exactly what I do on a daily basis. Just another extension of that. It's really a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah no,
0: it it's is fun. fun. Yeah. I wouldn't do it if it wasn't I fun. About I that just part. thoroughly enjoy it. And what's next? So we have the podcast, Restaurant Topio. What comes after that? A uh, full feature film, I, I think. It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll <laughs> be played by Brad Pitt. I, 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 I think one thing that
2: we're working on that we'll be launching fairly soon here is the Hillcrest Academy. And then the Eat Local Ohio app will be coming out here very shortly, which will really be a way that... Local independent operators can show their food and get really a way for people to find local independent operators easily and really get an understanding with good food photography what their food looks like. So,
3: because there was a huge void there, and we talked about this last night at dinner. You know, there's a void of the Yelp pictures and the flip phone cameras and the flash with the half-eaten plate, and you have all these representations of restaurants that really aren't what should be out there. And so we said, there's a huge need for this. So we started with one person that we bought a camera and she had a boyfriend that was a photographer. So he trained her on how to use the camera and do, because food photography is a specific thing. So she learned that over time and, and ended up creating this great model that now we have several people on our staff that go out and their job, we hired them to just go out and take photos. So we offer a free photo shoot to any local independent restaurant in Ohio. Whether you're a customer or not. Yeah. Whether you that's buy incredible. from us or not. You know what I mean? Well, so like,
1: what was that saying? You said is the rising tides raise all ships or whatever the case may be. And that's kind of the ethos of the company.
3: Yeah. So we've created a platform that's now close to 50,000 followers on Instagram that we're now moving that onto an actual mobile app that they'll be able to see all the content. Because Instagram, obviously, you can only post so many times, but now you can type in Westlake, Ohio, Italian food, and it's going to bring up like unbelievable photography of the food photography, the ambiance of the restaurant, the people, and give you... Cause, What we've learned, and although all of us are at an age where we're probably still Googling like best restaurant in Westlake, everybody in their 20s is going on Instagram and they're going on social media and they're finding these places and making their dining decisions. So once we realized that, we said, okay, so we started with Instagram and they said, no, let's get all the content somewhere where you can actually search it. And it comes up and it's like, boom. And the consumer can be confident that it's all independent restaurants, that they're not going to get tricked by some national chain that is posing as one.
0: And what's the vision for the Hillcrest Academy?
1: Yeah. So what we do now is we have it set up and we launched it maybe last year with some pilot groups. Uh, Remember I told you they sponsored me to go out and get all that training and whatnot. And I like to talk in front of people. Apparently I like to share knowledge again, for the sake of helping. I mean, I think that's where the happiness comes from, right? When you can pass that along, I guess it's the hospitality bone, but I do lecture series or seminars, whatever workshops, whatever you want to call them to help business operators do better at business, right? Because a lot of times we need some external information to look at ourselves objectively. We have a hard time analyzing ourselves and Sometimes I can help spur that and give tips and tricks and lessons. And it's kind of like what you said earlier. I can help people learn through the mistakes I made because I made so many mistakes as an operator. And I look back now and I have the knowledge of distribution and the knowledge from academia and I say, man, if I would have zigged instead of zagged, like it would have made all the difference. And so I guess my big cause there is that I can help these folks either fix the mistakes they've made or avoid the pitfalls that I've made already. And so I'm not sure the capacity of how far we're going to take that. But as of now, it's an all-intensive seminar series and educational forum for restaurant operators. Again, it's something that's pretty unique to Hillcrest that we go out and we do this only for independence.
3: We started with a little pilot group internally, and then we did it with some customers, and it's gone so well and gone over so well. And Anthony's done such a great job of putting it together that this is the next kind of like Eat Local Ohio. So now it's something that we can go out and say, we're giving this away for free. As long as you're an independent restaurant operator, like you can attend these seminars, you know, these three to four, you know, I think it's going on four part seminars now that you're learning like major mindset stuff. Like this isn't just like, hey, here's how you do a scrambled eggs. Like, no, this is like culture. This is uh, hiring. It's onboarding. It's like world class. This is Zingerman's. This is Union Hospitality. This is Powell's Business uh, Excellence Institute. This is all these places that Anthony and I and Brian have been that we put together with our spin on it to say, okay, how are we going to help these local independent operators? You know, it's great stuff.
0: What I find so interesting about your position is that you do have the academic background. And you've taken the time to study. And then you also have your firsthand experiences. But what I also think is super valuable is you also work with the best operators in Ohio. So you can learn from the choices that they've made. Can you walk me through the things that you see that these excellent operators have in common? I will let the rest of the team answer the question, but I just want to like hit a point on
2: These are the best operators in Ohio. They're guys, whether they have one restaurant or 30 restaurants, they're not doctors and lawyers that are trying to open up restaurants. And again, our rate of people going out of business is non existent. These are operators that have been in business for 20, 30, 40 years. They are experts in the industry. Again, are there tricks and tips that we can provide to help them get even better? But they're not like, oh, hey, I got an idea for a falafel restaurant. Like these are really amazing operators.
3: Well, and here's the thing. We'll talk about one operator. Anthony, I'll let you talk about the menu a little bit. You know what I'm talking about. And then I'll yeah. talk a little about how they're battling labor. So talk about the menu. Yeah. So obviously
1: it's short menus right now are the sake of efficiency are imperative to what's going on. And this operator is borderline fearless. Like we often sit around and wonder like, my gosh, the courage they have to not like charge appropriately, but to make the moves they need to make. It seems crazy, but they are so calculated to the point where it takes them about six months to put a new menu item on the menu. That's how many times they run through it six months. Like, I, I could never imagine that, even as a chef, you know, and this isn't fine dining. But one thing they've done really, really well at their flagship location, who, if you go down there now, they're not struggling for staff, they're not really breaking a sweat, sales are great, everything's moving along like nothing ever happens, which is a rarity right now, as you know. What they've done is they have such a cleverly built menu. In fact, it's 21 menu items for lunch and dinner, 21. Maybe even a little less than that, seventeen, twenty one. Seventeen. 17. Yeah, yeah. So I'm getting my numbers confused. Within that seventeen menu items, they have more than twenty to twenty five call outs of trends, whether it be different ethnicities, vegan, gluten free. Locally sourced, yada, 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 right? So they've somehow taken this menu and just condensed it into this trendy, amazing thing that has a narrow scope for the sake of efficiency, right? Their cooks are very well ingrained in lots of muscle memory, lots of repeat activities, so they're hyper-efficient, but then they have a broad selection of proteins. And why that's significant is I grew up in the industry where it was like we dovetailed everything. We had these huge diner menus, like New York City style diner menus with like 7,000 items. And it's like dovetail every ingredient for efficiency's sake. But what we didn't realize is the cooks are running marathons in the kitchen, right? Like it doesn't make any sense. What they've done is they've done the opposite approach where they have in their 17 menu items, they have like 10 different proteins available, which is staggering. They're not dovetailing anything. So they've taken the menu, shrunk it down, and then just undovetailed dovetailed everything. And I'm like, oh my God, it was right there in front of my face the whole time. And they were jamming busy. It's to the point where you go in and you have a hard time selecting what's on the menu, even though it's a small scope. And then you're like, man, I had this today. I'm going to have to come back and get the to Cuban tomorrow and I'll get the flatbread the next day. Like, I got to try all this stuff because it sounds so appealing. But they got magic in a bottle. Yeah. And what they've done is they
3: said, okay, we're going to do a burger. Okay. We're not going to do 10 burgers. We're going to do one burger. And it's going to be the best burger you've ever put in your mouth. And then they said, okay, we're going to do a veggie burger. And it's not going to be like two versions of a veggie burger or whatever, it's going to be the best veggie burger you've ever had. We're going to do a chicken sandwich, okay? one chicken sandwich. And it's going to be the be- you know what I mean? like So they've done it where they've done the culinary, they've done the research, they've done the stuff, and their customers crave it. It's amazing, the fan base that they've built, and they've been an amazing, the standards that they hold themselves to, the standards that they hold their distributor to. I mean, they've helped us go to another level of our work through that stuff. And just to talk a little bit about about what they've done with labor, their labor model, because of the things they've done with the menu, have made it real easy and given their staff a great lifestyle, but they just have great culture. The things we've talked about in the restaurant marketing school season, talking about loving the customers or loving the employees to love the customers and, and all those things. So their culture is amazing. They have a great reputation so that people that work there feel good from the customer aspect. It's not like they're there at the national burrito place. They're doing things the right way. One thing
1: they did, if you don't mind me interjecting, and I didn't pick up on this at first, this had to be delivered to me from someone else who observed it, is that they slowed the pitch down for their staff. And I didn't necessarily understand what that meant, but what they did is they have pricing courage to the point where they charge enough to make sure they pay their staff, not only a living wage, but also that they chase some of these ravenous fans away. And I know that sounds crazy to anybody out there because who in the hell would do that, right? Like you want all the business. But what they've did is they kind of outpriced some of their clientele because they were so busy and their staff so overwhelmed constantly by raising the prices, they're able to do the same amount of sales at lower volume. And now all of a sudden, instead of their kitchen and their servers trying to hit 100 mile an hour pitches, they're teeing off on 50 mile an hour pitches all day. Well, then what happens is they hit home runs every pitch. So guess what? All those customers keep coming back and the staff never breaks a sweat. They're always happy to go to work because it's a 50 mile an hour. Who doesn't love jumping in the batting cage and smashing 50 mile an hour pitches? It's a blast. And we've seen that trend
2: to post-pandemic by increasing your ticket average by adding h- high-value proteins on the menu, seafood and other things that are going to increase that ticket average. And you don't need as many customers to come to the line to make that same amount of profit.
1: It's a crazy notion, and boy, is it risky. Like, I don't know that I would recommend a lot of operators do it, but when they put such a priority on effectiveness as opposed to efficiency, meaning like the best possible version of that burger Dave was talking about – they had the courage to do it, man. They had the backbone to say, you know what? We're going to charge what we think it's worth. And that's worked out really, really well for them.
0: What else are you guys seeing?
3: This goes against all evergreen content because we keep talking about the pandemic. But, you know, I feel like the way the pandemic accelerated trends and accelerated all these things, we saw a lot of our operators pivot brilliantly. You know what I mean? And maybe it took a little bit of time, but I had an operator who was a, I would say, bar and grill, not upscale bar and grill, but like very like high quality bar and grill that was doing good business. When the dining room was closed, they were doing carry out. And I just know based on because we sell them the food, their volume went up because you would go in and it was like literally like a family, like you would sit at the bar and there was two or three bartenders and they're like, every customer that came up, they're like, Joe, what's up? I mean, it was like more regulars than you would ever see in a place. Like it was just amazing what they developed over the years. And then they didn't say, oh, the pandemic dining room's closed. Oh, we got to figure it. No, they figured it out. They adjusted the menu. They said, okay, this stuff doesn't carry out well. We're getting rid of that they just went through and they pivoted and i think probably when you look at our customer base that's probably the biggest takeaway is like we accelerated the industry 5 years in a couple months and our customer said okay let's do it i totally agree i think and that
2: was one of the the benefits of being a local independent operator is the ability to pivot quickly but then on the technology side which you think and again it did take some time but on the technology side third party deliveries Five years ahead of what anyone thought it would be and to see what people have done with online ordering and trying to drive people through their own personal point of sale versus the third-party delivery and all of those trends and how your food travels and what that looks like. And now I think we're seeing everything come full circle with, we talked about this on Restaurant Marketing School, is in-house delivery and doing it yourself and kind of rolling your own with the technology and, and the marriage of the network and really providing your customers with the service and you with the profit and the information. So it's really becomes a win-win, but to see people move this quickly with technology, it's to me is amazing. I think that is really the spirit of the industry.
3: But think about just that conversation, like for the guy to trust Anthony enough to make that comment and for Anthony to respond back and for him to take action on that response, Like just the relationship and just the ability to be coachable and humble and pivot, Like that's the story.
2: That is a story. It's the pivot. I was following this national chain that had extended hours, had uh, full service in the dining room, and they were going to go bankrupt. The pandemic came in, they closed the dining room, eliminated full service, got obviously more out, limited the hours, and now they're profitable. So their profit is actually up. They're out of debt. And it's because they changed. But for the pandemic, they might not have had the courage to change until it was too late. So, and then they changed their menu a little bit. So to see those three things go in action because of the labor shortage, I think you're going to see that continue on over the next 12 to 24 months. Having QR codes at the table and order entry that way, having QR codes on the receipt and being able to pay at the table as you're seeing now. I think the technology is going to continue to evolve to be a value add to the customer and the restaurateur.
0: If it's utilized. And I think that that's really the point here is that everything that you're discussing, you keep calling them pivots, 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 pivots. And they are because they're not permanent changes yet. So the pivots QR codes, the pivots digital menus, the pivot prepay and all of that. They're pivots because they're temporary changes that could potentially go back to the way things were before. And I think from the conversations we've had, the operators that are doing it right aren't considering these temporary pivots. These are evolutions in the way they're choosing Uh, to do business. This is an evolution. No more paper menus. None. Why? Why would you do that? Why not let people pay at the table? Yeah, you
3: had this opportunity to keep it (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but I
2: think the difference that we're seeing now, and again, I agree with you. This is an evolution. This is a change in the marketplace. But the it's consu- a great
3: accelerator, man, it
2: is the consumer has changed now. Now the consumer's been coached up. I was out to lunch at the place you guys went last night, probably six months ago. They had the QR code on the table, and the guy I was with having lunch goes, "What is that? How do I do that?" Now, he would never say that today. Now, again, he's an older gentleman. He had a smartphone, but again, he never knew what a QR code was, which I find hard to believe. But anyways. Now he's paying with the smartphone. Now he's evolved. So everyone is on the boat. Everyone is moving forward in this new direction. And I don't think that they're pivots. I think they are the future.
0: Only if we choose for them to be. We went to that restaurant last night and we were served paper menus and there were no QR codes. Wow. All right. Uh, Okay. uh So to your point. But it's, again, like it's only an evolution if you stick with the direction you're going in. And I've said it from the first episode I did of the show that the tragedy would be, if we went through all of this, we learned all of these things. And because of fear and insecurity, we choose to go back to the way things were before, as opposed to doing what we should have done a decade ago, which was have the difficult conversation with our guest and say, I know you want it this way, but we're going to do it this way from here on out because that's what's best for me and I'm trying to do what's best for you. It goes back to, like you said, you're driven by fear. And it's the fear of raising well, the prices.
3: It's a fear of offending the customer. It's a fear. You know what I mean? Like, and not that you intentionally want to do that, but you got to stay true to your values as a restaurant. Operator. Well, that's it. I think if you listen to your customers way too much, you're going to
1: have the problem that Henry Ford identified, right? He said, if I asked my customers what they wanted, they would have won a faster horse. So at some point in time, you have to lead your customers down that way. And Josh, I love the way you spun that is you're putting the onus on the fact that you're trying to help them help me do the best job for you. And this is what it looks like because they don't understand, you know, they're so accustomed to something and change is scary. We don't always like to evolve.
2: I think that's one thing that we've been able to pull back the layer on from the pandemic in our lives is, what are we afraid of?
0: Everything. We're afraid of (laughs) everything. We're afraid of ADA compliance. We're afraid of labor disputes. We're afraid of food poisoning. We're afraid of slips and falls. We're afraid of not being able to pay our net 30s. I mean, we could spend this entire episode and I could clearly lay out for you all of the things that I was afraid of on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, you went
1: through this from a different angle than what we did, right? So we're on the outside looking in and you
0: were right in the middle of it. Like, how was that fear? I mean, it had to be overwhelming. Oh my God. No one knew what the right move to make was. And there were certain things that became so clear in the early days. One, we weren't as wealthy as I thought we were. As a matter of fact, we had about nine days worth of money in the bank. But I had no idea because we always had a ton of money coming in. So it didn't really make sense. You know, when you're doing 50, $60,000 weeks, the cash flow doesn't really seem to be an issue. We also didn't own our customers. We had no customer data. I had never prioritized doing it because marketing wasn't a priority because we were already busy. So it's all of these things. But then when it was time to communicate with our customers, I didn't have the ability to do so. They didn't know how to talk to me. I didn't know how to talk to them. And so that's what started the journey that became full comp. And what I want to know is I want to know what the people that are doing it best are doing because I've got to believe that it's somewhat formulaic and that success is a repeatable thing. Maybe not a hundred percent of the time, but that three out of four times you can get it right if you follow these practices.
2: I can tell you one thing that I see that the pandemic has changed
0: is the movement away from
2: my gut tells me this, or I feel this, it has become science. Focus on your prime cost. Focus on picking a location that's supported by data. And now that the universe is so full of information that is attainable, it's not just the few people who have it in the McDonald's who hires the guy who sit on the corner and count cars. And that's how I know how many people are driving by this location. Now the data is out there. When you pick a new location, you don't have to guess. You can't be dazzled by three months of free rent. Now you know the data and you can pick a great spot. And then secondarily, you know when you're operating, are you operating at a loss or are you really making money? And you're not just looking at your bank account like this week was good. Last week was bad. Next week will be better whatever. No, you can be like, my prime costs are this. Labor's out of control. This is what it is. And to really look at that data and study it and be a student of the game is the evolution of the restaurant industry for nationals, to local to whoever. That is what you have to do now. And I think that has been the game changer. And a lot of that fear goes away.
0: That's the team from Restaurantopia. To check out more on David, Brian, and Anthony, go to restaurantopia.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp